May the love and radiance of Christ so shine in us and through us that people are drawn to the Jesus we love and serve. And so we trust that your glory shines and you reign in this place. Touch us and visit us with your presence. Touch me physically, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Brian? Hey, Brian? I want it. Yeah, I know. The coffee will wait. No, I wanted, I wanted just to be able to thank you personally. This is Brian's last Sunday with us. And uh, I'm going As only God would have it when we were trying to figure out where we go and what to do and what God had in store for us in the future as Brian was available to come back and forth from Akron every, Akron every weekend to be with us on Thursday night and then for the Sunday services. I appreciate both he and Brad. Brad has filled in for us a lot as well. But he has done a marvelous job, and uh, I'm so grateful. God has continued to lead him, and, and he has really sensed God's leading in the direction of doing worship in a variety of places, in a variety of mediums and uh, venues. And so I trust you'll continue to pray for Brian and his ministry and his team and his band as they serve God, but it's been a great privilege to have him here. Next Sunday, Justin will be with us. They left this morning, not sure when, but they left this morning from Little Rock, Arkansas, going to head their way up through Louisville and be here. But next Sunday morning, we'll be led in worship by our new uh, worship director, and we're excited about that as well. I hope you enjoyed your New Year's and Christmas. I trust you had a great time with your family. We did. I couldn't have had a more enjoyable time with my kids (laughs) and my grandkids. I don't know who put that in there. <clears throat> I, say, I said to my kids when she texted that, you know, we, we I got Christmas letters. I'm sure you all got Christmas letters from a variety of people throughout the years. We got Christmas letters from people who's been at our wedding that are now in their ninth and tenth grandchild. I'm going, we are way behind the curve on this. So we're excited that this year all of a sudden we can catch up twice and uh, be able to be together. But we just had a great time and we trust you did as well with your kids, your family, your grandkids. I hope you enjoyed the Christmas Eve service. I'm not sure. I wasn't here last weekend, obviously. From what I understand, it was the first time, as best I know, we balanced them out. They were almost identical as far as numerically. Five was a little bit fuller than that. If indeed you are familiar with someone who, for whatever reason, found out the five was too tight and didn't come, would you please let us know or let me know? I want to publicly apologize or personally apologize if I can. I think we accommodated everyone, but uh, I don't always know, especially when I'm up here, if anybody felt frustrated because they couldn't get in at 5 o'clock service. I did tell you that 5 would be a little tighter than 7, but they were almost identical. But I'd love to, uh, I'd love to do whatever I can to uh, invite them back. Uh, they can come on a Sunday free without charge. They don't even have to take an offering or whatever. But I, I do want to help them. But I, I was just so grateful for all the people who served in the nursery. So often we see the band members and the choir, and I really appreciate their willingness to stay uh, for such a long time on Christmas Eve. But so many people served in the nursery and ushers and greeters, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. I do want to publicly thank Gwen Pacey. Gwen is the one that did our decorations this year here and in the lobby. Done a great job, most of it by herself with two or three other volunteers, and uh, I do want to thank her for that. And then thank those who... Uh, moved all of Justin's stuff. A couple of weeks ago, we had a semi in our church parking lot and unloaded all of his items that was in their house in San Antonio to their place up in Butler. They've got a house or rented a house 
Donna Murphy uh, helped them find that, did above and beyond the call of duty, to find a location right above the hospital on Orchard Avenue. And so we've got everything moved in, and I appreciate Jeff Hunter and so many other people who participated, helped us out, and all the people who helped do that and put that together on such a crazy, cold, snowy, bad day. The truck driver was from Pennsylvania, but he showed up in San Antonio, and the first thing he said to Justin, I won't repeat it exactly as he said it, but the first thing that he said to Justin is, what on earth are you thinking leaving this climate? Do you know what it's like in Pennsylvania? Justin says, well, I have heard, and I've been there a couple of times, and we're just excited about going. You and I are standing at the doorway of another year. Usually what I do, and I'm sure some of you do as well, is you kind of look back. What was 2010 like for you? I'm sure for many people it was an up-and-down year, like the stock market or your job security. It was an extremely unpredictable year. It was for me personally. It was for many folks. I, I know at times when you look back over a year, you see enormous blessing, but you also see unbelievable challenges. And some of you have lived through some incredibly difficult days. You've lost loved ones. You look around your family table at Christmas or New Year's, and you recognize that someone who was there last year isn't this year. Not a one of us that have gone unscathed at some form or the other and and now you see that uncertainty or fragility of life right in front of you. We all know what it's like. We all know how fragile life is and how unpredictable. But when you get in those family gatherings over a holiday season and you look around the table and you recognize either the changes that have taken place or someone who is not there who was there last year or now somebody else who's going through some difficult time. Others of us have gone through some very reflective moments. We've analyzed ourselves uh, to no end and try to figure out what the future is going to hold. This year for me was one of those years where I began to analyze what my own future looks like and, and, and what God has for me in this last one-third of my ministry career. Other people have gone through that uncertainty of a job where they just wondered if they would have one. A lot of folks who wanted to retire can't because of the uncertainty of the economic market. and It doesn't look any better. I was sitting in a board meeting a couple of months ago and there were a number of people who were on that board, the CMA Board of Directors, and a couple of people were economists. And the CMA has gone through difficult times financially, and they were saying, what does it predict? What do the economists predict as to what's going to happen? And, and they said, believe it or not, the economists said that the recession ended in July of 2010. Anybody believe that? It's extremely unpredictable, and it's very uncertain. Now, for other folks, they've had an enormous amount of joy in their life. They look back over 2010, and they're just delighted with what God has done or what's taken place or where they are in their journey of life. Maybe what they've learned about themselves or their family. Maybe they've seen family members come in to their life, and, and they're just thrilled. Can't wait for 2011. Maybe you've got a wedding coming up or a birth coming up. Chuck is... Uh, one that heads up our media department here left this morning. I'm not sure if he's even still here, but I know he left this morning. He's got a grandchild being born today. And so there's a lot of excitement generating in a lot of people's lives because they know some members of their family are changing. They're going to get new in-laws or a new son-in-law or new daughter-in-law. It's an exciting year. Some folks have uh, a lot of uncertainty that runs through their lives. New Year's for me is not only a time as we look over this weekend as a hinge point of the year to look back and reflect, but it's also to wonder a little bit about what this year ahead is going to be like. When you stop and look at your life every once in a while, when you just slow down enough to evaluate who you are and how you look at life and 
how you deal with life. Are you one of those that takes an enormous amount of risk? Or are you one of those that wish you would have taken some risks that were in front of you and you didn't? Some people look at life and live life with absolutely no regrets and go for it with every fiber of their being. And a lot of people hold back and hesitate and fail to take advantage of the great opportunities in front of them. Whether it's to witness to a friend, maybe over the Christmas season or the holiday season as we shared a few weeks ago when you knew there was somebody going through some difficult time and you knew the only answer in their life was Christ. And, and you wish you would have taken that opportunity and didn't. Maybe some of you did and are thrilled that you took that opportunity. I found myself through the years saying, I, I never want to sit in a rocking chair at Sunnyview somewhere along the way, gumming my food to, food to death, wishing that I would have done something or wishing I would have gone after certain things. I want to live life, and I'm sure many of you do as well, with as little regrets as you possibly can. This morning at this day, we're going to move into our series in James, back into our series in James next Sunday morning as we chapter 2 and celebrate communion. But this morning I thought being January 2nd, and most of us at least at some point or the other over the weekend reflecting, I want to talk this morning not about resolutions. You know and I know that most people don't keep them. The average New Year's resolution are kept for how long, do you know? 17 days. That's not very long. Three weeks, whatever you said you would do a couple days ago, you probably will have forgotten what it is. I don't want to talk this morning about resolutions. What I'd love to have talked about this morning is a view of life. The opportunities are in front of us. Looking at life with an understanding of what God may want to do through me or with me or teach me. I, I, I want to share with you this morning, if you listened to the phone tree the other day, a very simple story out of, of Mark chapter 6. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn there. It's a story also found in John. Uniquely enough, it is the only miracle of Christ that is found in all four Gospels. I want to be careful, but whether that says something or not, I just find it unique that it's the only miracle of Christ found in all four of the Gospels. Every single one of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, commissioned by the Holy Spirit, using God's gifts to them, set out to share the story of Christ in a variety of ways to a variety of people. Every one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, had a different audience. You were here on Christmas Eve. Each one of them had a different aspect of Christ they wanted to communicate. One the healer, one the Savior, one the Messiah, one the Jesus the Lord. Each one had a different audience they wanted to share the story of Christ with. And each one of them had different aspects of Jesus' ministry they shared. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four take this story in, in the Mark chapter that I want to read this morning of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and this one little boy that most of the people in that audience that day would have overlooked and do some amazing things as he just simply made himself and his resources available to God. There were not a lot of people in that context that would have probably noticed this 10 or 11-year-old boy. Maybe he was nine. Most of the people in the audience that day just wanted to be around Jesus. The story begins in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Christ and reported to him all they had done and taught. And because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now that setting alone has been something that has resonated with me over the last couple of years. And I, I don't do this part well. Mark is the one that seems to record a fascinating, parallel, or a fascinating journey in Jesus' life where he had intense ministry and then a time just to shut down and unwind and rest, 
to reflect. Now, most of you feel that I only work on a weekend anyhow, and it's usually only one day a week, and I don't know why you'd need time off. And, and I understand all that. Believe me, I've heard it for the last 30 years, so nothing is, is a surprise. But, but I don't do this well. And I find it interesting in the life of Jesus that so often in his ministry pace, he took some time to stop and reflect. Whether it was quiet time alone or whether it was with his disciples, but intense ministry and then back off for a while and just to analyze or reflect. Now you'll notice here <laughs> in verse 32, the crowds and the demands of his ministry didn't always allow that to happen. And maybe you have found that in your life. I certainly know I have in mine. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Often wondered what that was like for Jesus. But many who saw them leaving recognized them, ran on foot from all the towns, and got there ahead of him. Just when Jesus thought he was going to have some R&R, a weekend off, a Sunday off, or a day off, the crowd demands, the people demands, the needs arise. And I find that all the time. I'm sure you do as well in your own life. In this particular context, I want to just simply share with you the story and the opportunities that were there and what I think we can learn out of it as Jesus takes advantage of an opportunity that's in front of him using this little boy to do that. This morning, I want to just give you some principles out of this story as Jesus takes some time to out of that little boy's five loaves and two fishes feed over five to eight to ten, some people estimate 15,000 people. Principles are these. There's a correlation between opportunities and problems. A lot of it depends upon our view of life. There's a correlation between opportunities and problems, and a a lot of it is dependent upon our view of life. Some people see, when they're looking at situations or circumstances, or opportunities in front of them, some people see the problems, others see the possibilities. And whichever one you see first says a lot about your view of life. And sometimes, I want to be careful with this statement, but sometimes it can tell a lot about your view of God. When you look at circumstances, situations, difficulty, whatever that may be in front of you, how you look at that circumstance, how you look at that opportunity, whether you see the problems first or the possibilities first, says a lot about how you look at life overall. And sometimes, if you're not careful, it does say a lot about how you view God and what you think he'll do or how he'll respond to that circumstance or that situation. Whether, you, whether you're a half cup half full or a glass half empty kind of person, I look at it from this context. When you look at circumstances, problems, situations, or difficulty, do you see the problems first or the possibilities first? Now, I'll be honest with you, many times I see the problems first. And what, I, what I've asked myself over the last couple of years and what I've asked God to do is shift my view of life. I, I want to see Him first. I want to see what I believe He can do before I see the obstacle or the problem in front of me. In verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So He began teaching them many things. But this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to Him and said, this is a remote place. It's already late. Send these people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. I don't know whether there were McDonald's or Wendy's around, but he said, I, we don't have it, so send them someplace where they do. Now, obviously, you can see the problems that the disciples are seeing in their view of life almost all the way through Jesus' ministry is they would see problems first. 
and then possibilities. Ted spoke last Sunday morning on the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and it wasn't really until the Spirit of God landed on these guys in that upper room experience where I really wonder if there was a switch that took place, a, a definite transition took place in most of their lives, especially Peter, the most well-known, and some of the other ones, where instead of all through their ministry life with Jesus, if you take time to analyze it, all through their ministry life with Jesus, most of the time they saw the problems first. Seemingly, after the power of the Spirit of God landed on them in the upper room, when they were just simply abandoning themselves before God, and said, we cannot survive without you. We desperately need you. We don't want to do this ministry alone. Jesus said, don't anyhow. Go to the upper room, wait for the power of God to land on you. And when it did, I really watched a transition take place in their lives where now they see some amazing possibilities. Still knowing problems that are there. But the transition that took place to me is fascinating in their life. They obviously noticed the problem here. People like sheep without a shepherd haven't eaten all day. Thousands of people Lord, what are we going to do? The common response. Einstein said, in the middle of difficulty lies opportunity. In the Chinese language, symbols are whole words. Put two symbols together, they take on a third meaning. If you take the Chinese symbol for trouble and the Chinese symbol for crisis and put them together, you get the word opportunity. Almost every medicine we have came to us as a result of a problem or a difficulty. Sad to say, most only see the problem, never the opportunity, wring our hands and worry about life and the future instead of looking at what God can do and the possibilities or the opportunities that are in front of them. Twelve spies, and I don't have time to go back to the story this morning. It's the one that, out of almost all the Old Testament stories, stands out to me as a, as a quintessential example of this. Twelve guys go into the promised land, see exactly the same things. Ten see all the problems, and only two see the possibilities. Saw the same problems, but they added that incredible phrase, but God. With God on our side, nothing should be able to pull us down or to stop us from trusting in what he's able to do. Here in Mark chapter 6, Jesus said to them in verse 37, you give them something to eat. I said, how are we going to do that? We'll take a half a year's wages. One translation, I think it's Mark's or Luke's, says that would be eight, eight months' salary to feed this amount of people. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give them something to eat? When they saw the issue, they had no idea what Jesus was going to do. All they wanted to do was to get rid of the issue and get rid of the problem. God wanted to do something amazing. They just needed to trust him and believe that in front of them was an unreal opportunity. I want to be able to trust God in the midst of that. The Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus was crucified and betrayed, he took three of his disciples, Peter and James and John, with him to pray. It's never said, it's never written about the extent of the conversation I, I, one of the, there's a number of things I'm looking forward to when I get in heaven, but when I, when I go to heaven, I want to sit somewhere in a media seminar, and I just want to watch the entire story unfold. I mean, the Jesus movie does a great job, and so many of the other ones do a great job. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John do a phenomenal story. I've got to believe the conversations are a lot more detailed than what's written down. Now, I'm fascinated with the conversations that must have gone on behind the scenes or that weren't written down. But I've often wondered if Jesus came to these three guys and said, you know, I need you to stay with me for a while. Most of the time, Jesus prayed alone. And I often wondered if he said to them that night, look, 
most often I do pray alone, but tonight I really need you here. And every time he came back, each gospel writer has it a little bit different vantage point, but each time he came back, he found them asleep. For hours, and no one really knows exactly how long he stayed there, for hours he prayed, and he came back only to find them asleep. Peter became the rock of the early church. James became the leader of the early church. And John had more fascinating revelation given to him than almost any other Old Testament or New Testament writer. Three incredible men, but I often wonder if they were haunted by the memory that tonight Jesus needed them the most. They fell asleep. Instead of this unbelievable opportunity, we've seen him pray before. I know he likes to pray alone. I, I, I know he keeps saying this is going to be an intense time. He keeps talking about what's going to happen when we enter Jerusalem. But they failed to take advantage of this unreal opportunity that Jesus had been talking about for days on end. Instead of being there with him the night he needed them the most, they all slept. I don't know what you're going to do different this year, how you're going to look at life different this year. Some of you, are, well, I want to read more. I want to stay home more. I don't want to be at the office so long. I want to love my family better. The question that I often find myself asking is, what are you waiting for and why do you wait for a New Year's weekend to determine to do those things? We have one shot in life. This is not a dress rehearsal. If you want to be a really great dad, do it today. If you want to be a really great dad or a really great mom, don't wait for a New Year's weekend or a resolution to determine. Just do it today. If you want to be a really good spouse, I, I want to make sure this year that I take my wife out more often or that we have more date nights or we have more weekend getaways. Why wait for a weekend resolution to do that? Just be a great spouse. I want to do something great for God. Why wait for a crisis? Why wait for an event? Why wait for a difficulty to make that decision? Just jump in with every fiber of your being and do it. Opportunities aren't always seized by those who are in the right place at the right time. They're just seized by those who recognize they're there and do something about it. Verse 37, Jesus said, you give them something to eat. They didn't recognize the opportunity. They were in the right place, didn't have a clue about what God was going to do. Ellen Metcalf writes this, I'd like to amend the idea of being in the right place at the right time. There are a lot of people who are in the right place but didn't know it. You've got to recognize that when the right place and the right time fuse together, just take advantage of the opportunity. There are a lot of opportunities in front of us. We don't have to wait for the right place and the right time. Just take advantage of what's in front of you on a regular basis. You can't sit and wait for life to catch up to us. You've got to simply jump in with every fiber of our being. Being in the right place isn't enough. Just recognizing that God is moving, God is available, God is always the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God of the Old Testament and the God of the miraculous and the God of the New Testament is the same God we serve today. The same God that took five loaves and two fishes and fed 15,000 people. It's the same God who can do the amazing if we're willing to trust Him and just simply make ourselves available to Him and let Him use us. These people almost missed, a, as you see here in this context, these guys that had been following Jesus for three years had seen the miraculous over and over and over again. Almost missed one of the most amazing opportunities. 
So often we see it dependent upon our resources and, and, and our abilities. When Jesus kept saying to them, what do you have? Well, we only got five loaves and two fish. But what is that among so many? Almost missing what God can do with a little. They couldn't grasp how God works. They couldn't grasp the miraculous nature of God. We so often, the older we get, the more skeptical we get, the more analytical we get, as opposed to the more daring we get, the more generous we get, the more excited we get, the more willing we are to risk. Believe me, I, one of the people that I'm talking to the most is me. Tony Campalo, in a book, Who Switched the Price Tags, which if you haven't read it, it's a fascinating study on humanity because it seems, as he said, that somebody walked in in the middle of the night and flipped all the price tags and the things we thought were valuable, nobody seems to have value anymore. The things we thought that, that didn't have value, everybody seems to elevate. Technology has changed. USA Today had a weekend edition, and one of the things that it said is we've, uh, technology is fascinating and amazing, but what is what, the trade-off in Facebook and, and texting and all these kind of things is we've lost face-to-face communication. Tony Campalo interviewed in that context over 100 people and asked them, if you could live life all over again, what would you do differently? If you could live life all over again, what would you do differently? number of responses from these people that he interviewed, three top ones were these. One, I would reflect more. Secondly, I would risk more. And third, I'd do more things that would live on after I die. I'd reflect more. I'd risk more. I'd do more things that would live on after I die. This isn't a dress rehearsal. You and I get one shot at this incredible gift called life. New year, maybe. It certainly is. My calendar's turned. And now I've got to start writing 2011 on checks that I'll forget for the next two, three months. And it changed and life changed, but every day is an incredible gift from God and an opportunity to trust Him in amazing ways. This is a new year and an opportunity to see what God wants to do in and through us. He has done some amazing things in our life and through our church and in our church and through our people. But I honestly, for whatever strange reason this may seem, think that some of our best days are yet ahead as we continue to follow him. Two of my favorite comedians are not people that you would normally see on TV. They're guys that I've showed you before called the skit guys. And I want to end this morning with a clip about their view of life and what they think about this new year. 